Hey y'all, it's Ty Richardson. Just want to let you know that halftime is on the road again, this time this Friday from 12 to 2 at T. Henry's Pub, about half a mile from TD Ameritrade Park. Phil Ellison, the voice of Arkansas baseball, and my co-host is going to be there. They're going to have plenty of Bud and Bush light. Come by and see him. 318 South 11th Street in Omaha, Nebraska. Now let's get into the podcast. Remember, Hogs trying to win a natty. The Hogs are going to Omaha. Oh, intermission. No, it's halftime. You can actually feel Razorback Stadium shaking underneath our feet right now. You just got to keep living, man. L-I-V-I-N. Arkansas wins the national championship. What I say when it comes to this basketball team is the law. Absolutely and without discussion. I have been trying to get you together with Ty. Strikeouts are boring. Besides that, they're fascist. Throw some ground ball. More democratic. This is the Halftime Podcast, presented by Jeff's Clubhouse. What do you get about a day or so in, in the case of, of the Razorbacks to uh, to figure things out? Uh, it, wh- which family members will make it to Omaha? Who's going to uh, pay for it? How you're going to gather everybody up and get them all out there? And and then where you're going to stay once you get there? And oh, by the way, you do have to plan ahead for potentially being there for two weeks. So with all of the other things that go into trying to stop your life in the middle of it, and plan for a huge event. That huge event could last for, just like last season, 16 days. In fact, it could go 17 days, I guess, because uh, the teams were traveling one day ahead early than usual because of the uh, the major league game. The Tigers and Royals playing tomorrow at TD Ameritrade, so they want all of the eight participating teams to be there, which I'm assuming will also present a pretty heavy strain on tickets for the major league game because Omaha's going to show out there's no doubt and there'll be plenty of fans from both of the from a both of from all eight of the fan bases that want to be a part of that as well. So I mean you you're talking about potentially planning for 18 days away from whatever regular life is for you in and and for some people that is uh it feels like regular life for other people uh maybe 18 days away sounds like exactly what you want. Uh, but uh, it's it's a quick turnaround. I mean, I saw where you would think it's a quick turnaround for Arkansas after they finish their Super Regional on uh, on Monday and essentially get about. I mean, we're leaving we're leaving at two o'clock from the Regional Jet Center, which is our mobile halftime studio location today, up by XNA Airport. Uh, so that gives actually less than forty eight hours from the time that Matt Cronin threw the final pitch to Thomas Dillard. And Jacob Nesbitt made that great play, and the celebration began. What was that? That was at about 5 o'clock in the afternoon, I think, close to 5 o'clock. So you get less than 48 hours before you're actually on the plane and flying to Omaha. Well, then there's Arkansas's opponent. As I understand, if when, I, when, I, when I saw the, the end of their victory against LSU, I don't even think that the Seminoles returned to Florida. I think they went from Baton Rouge right up to Omaha. So this is a team that's been on the road really ever since the end of the regular season because Florida State had to go to Durham, North Carolina for the ACC tournament, and then they were on the road for their uh, regional. Uh, They were part of the Athens regional, so not too far away from Tallahassee, but certainly it was on the road. And then right after that, uh, they might have been able to head home, but still had to go to Baton Rouge, and then from Baton Rouge right to Omaha. So, I mean, that's a team... I don't know if you can pack for that number of days. Ty, I had a, uh, I figured out a goal 
for the baseball season last year, and not a goal that I ever thought that I would have set before, because when I traveled with the Travelers, the longest trip we ever took was 12 days, and I packed for those 12 days. I never had to do road laundry, which some of my other broadcaster friends did do laundry in hotel facilities or they'd find a laundromat. I never had to do that until uh, the first time I ever went to Hoover with Arkansas. And that's Hoover, as we know, is it's got a little bit of a purgatory feel to it. Uh, you know, it's between <laughs> it's between the regular season and the postseason. And it, oh, you, I thought you were re- talking about the town itself. No, I don't mean in that sense. I mean <laughs> the SEC tournament. Hoover's a fine place. It's uh, definitely a lot nicer than what I would imagine purgatory is like. If there if there is such a thing as purgatory, I know there's such a thing as Hoover, and it hosts the SEC tournament. And that tournament is kind of you know it's it's just between things. It's one of those moments where you're just between. Something that, you know, isn't quite over yet, and then the part of the season that means everything. Uh, so doing road laundry in Hoover was just like, all right, I'm ready to get this thing done and move on to the next thing. Yeah. Last year, 16 days in Omaha, and I guess I'd packed for like 9 or 10, figuring, eh, I'll figure out a place. And we did find, did figure out the place and did the road laundry. And it was an enjoyable experience, much more enjoyable than doing laundry in Hoover. And not because Hoover is, is a terrible place, but just because you wanted to stay there as long as you possibly could, get to the very end of it, and then whatever clean laundry you're wearing at the moment, soak it with champagne. Obviously, ended up soaking that in tears last year. There's a plethora of things that I think that per- could prohibit Arkansas from staying as long as you were able to last year, the team and DVH being there. And I was thinking about it after the game. I didn't want to get into it as of Tuesday because that's a day for positivity. You just want, no one wants to talk about negatives or anything yet, Phil. But as you kind of formulate these ideas in your head, as they're kind of percolating throughout your mind, you have to start realizing that this team has some iffy points on the roster and some, and some points this season. And I want you to be there all the way. I want you to be doing laundry the day after with a smile on your face rather than sulking as you were last year. I also so, want to get a road pedicure because that, that worked out really nicely last year. Get you one of those, man. I I actually could use a, a pedicure and a, and a manicure as well. So I, 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 if only John will be up there starting on Sunday, he maybe you can get him to join. Y'all could do a, a, a <laughs> halftime and morning rush pedicure. That would be just phenomenal. For I think people would eat that up. But, Phil, again, your knowledge on this is going to be a lot further along than mine is, but... One of the things I have to start with that that could prohibit Arkansas from making it on is losing the first game. And I know Florida State is not the most daunting opponent. You'd have success against them. Beat them in 04, beat them in 09, one at your place, one on the road. That being said, Phil, this is the Cinderella team. Martin's last year, there's so many different things ESPN is going to do on this broadcast to make sure he's remembered, make sure he gets his respect. This is the darling heading into the College World Series. And I know the draw that Arkansas was able to get was pretty nice comparatively to what it could have been if UCLA and LSU had still been. That being said, Phil, you got to start out with Cinderella. And if it seems like everyone's against you, especially since you make the College World Series last year, the College World Series final, I think that's where you got to start where you should be a little concerned that you're playing the darling of the College World Series your first game on Saturday night. Well, and I mean, I can understand the, the, the viewpoint behind that. But I mean, it, it, if it's a battle of stories, and the Florida State story is, is great because of 
Mike Martin's 40-year tenure with 40 victories every season because uh, of never winning a, a national championship and that his last season it turns out to be essentially one of his worst teams. I mean, they'd made the NCAA tournament every year that he's been there, and they were one of the last teams in. Now, I don't know how, how, how the seeding was conducted before the format changed from the six, eight-team regionals to the current format in the tournament, but they'd never, Florida State had never gotten a bid as a three-seed. Always as a one seed or a two going on the road, never as a three. And they, there was some that felt that there, that Florida State might have gotten in on reputation and on the story of Mike Martin alone. Well, and then they end up becoming, just like you're talking about, this Cinderella team that knocks off a couple of national seeds. I mean, they destroyed Georgia. Absolutely destroyed Georgia. That pitching staff had no chance. And then two wins in Alex Box Stadium is an, is a massive achievement, even for even for teams in the regular season. Yeah. That's tough to do to do that in the postseason. Well, I guess I guess what would be a bigger C- Cinderella story? Florida State doing that at Alex Box, or what happened to the Tigers against Stony Brook? So I mean, this has happened before on a different level because Florida's been to Omaha, you know, umpteen thousand times, and thirteen of those times now under Mike Martin and Stony Brook. Hadn't even smelled Omaha. I still can't. And wouldn't be- even know how to get there if you pick, if you gave him if you gave him a map now. Phil, I still can't figure out which upset I enjoy watching more: the Stony Brook victory over LSU back, I believe, in 2012, or the Robert Morris NIT victory at home that they beat Kentucky. Those are two. Those are two wins from not delay David Ball clubs when they were facing Goliath. Maybe not that year, but Goliath and. In years past and, and future years, that, that you just love rewatching over and over and over again, and just talking about them any chance you get. Well, so I mean, with all with all that, yes, as the last team into the tournament, it doesn't any it doesn't matter any longer. They've they've shown the ability to win in places that not a lot of teams can win, and under high pressure situation. Um, but that story still, it does. You know, the the Arkansas story compares. Highly favorably to the Florida State story, the Dave Van Horn hasn't won a, nat- a national title either story. Yeah, the favored, you know, he's almost still looked like like a like a prodigal son returning to Nebraska, where he rose the Cornhuskers baseball program to levels that they still haven't been able to achieve since they got there, and they're looking for a new head coach now with Darren Erstad saying that uh, you know I think he we I think. Uh, his he figured that uh, college coaching he didn't need it any longer. Still had some of that major league pension money and figured figures he'd find something else to do. But then the redemption of being the one out away from the national championship last year and now making it back. The, these stories to me play very well against each other. And and once you're in once you're in Omaha, I understand there's going to be favorites and that Florida State and Michigan are 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 the two. Ones that kind of are the outliers of all the other teams. I mean, you, when you looked at the bracket at the start of this at the start of this tournament, you you would have thought, yeah, all of the all of the SEC teams on the other side were legit. It, it's safe for Auburn. Not not that Auburn isn't legit. But you thought Mississippi State. Oh yeah, they're getting through. Vanderbilt absolutely is getting through. Auburn could maybe if <laughs> if they, if a couple things bounce their way, and they end up they end up doing it. Uh, Texas Tech, not a surprise to see them come through. Huge surprises to see Michigan and Florida State come through. So maybe maybe the pixie dust runs out. 
uh, here on this side of, uh, of the bracket because there can only be one Cinderella at the ball. You got two of them on this side, and Arkansas has got a chance to, uh, to, to see if the slipper fits or if they can just smash that slipper on Saturday, which is the whole idea behind, behind uh, doing it. And then all the stories uh, you know, surrounding it. And I don't know if the Cinderella thing affects Arkansas in a negative way because to me this is, this is a team that yeah, you can't, you're not going to look past any opponent no matter what the situation is when you're playing at TD Ameritrade Park. Say that about Little Rock, regular season, fine. Say that about, uh, about uh, you know, a Stony Brook or something like that during the regular season, that's fine. Anytime you show up for baseball in Omaha, you better be ready for a really good team, even if you didn't expect they'd be there. And it's hard, if not impossible, to imagine that Dave Van Horn's ball club would look past a team at this point in the tournament because, as you mentioned, it's the College World Series. These teams are there for a reason. But, Phil, if you look at Arkansas' side of the bracket, I know Michigan has a good day one starter. I don't know about the rest of the depth of their pitching. Texas Tech, that's a pretty salty club. I'll give you that. Florida State being one of the last four in. If we kind of branch out this outside of the Cinderella story and just in Arkansas' bracket, they avoid all three SEC teams until the College World Series final. And there's the idea that this is easily the easier side of the bracket. So even if Dave Van Horn's, if Martin, if Kerstad, if Fletch, and all those guys aren't reading the press clippings, you can just inherently know that your side of the bracket is an easier road to the College World Series. And again, as I mentioned to start out, just start this conversation, you're not, you're, this ball club isn't going to over, uh, underestimate any of these opponents they play. That being said, it's just hard not to let that seep into your mind even just a little bit that they have an easier road to the College World Series. Just as fans, from a fan's perspective, point of view, that you think Arkansas has a better chance than they did. Because if you think about the, the road they faced last year, Phil, I think you mentioned it on Tuesday. Texas, Texas Tech, and Florida, weren't those were the three teams you played to get to the College World Series final. You had Singer, who they, for whatever reason, stroked um, and consistently did that. Uh, Cody Clemens, Texas, a really good ball club there, and then Texas Tech, who they might get a chance to face on sa- on not Saturday on Monday. So it's just compared to last year, the road's easier, and I think fans are going to look at it that way, even though the players won't, DVH won't, and you can't look at it that way. Well, I'm I'm interested to see what uh, Mike Martin does as far as deciding who will be the starting pitcher for Saturday because he's got a choice, pretty much two guys, and for Arkansas, there's a choice of one. Uh, you know, this is not like the this is not Central Connecticut. Now, you might look at Florida State as a Cinderella, but they are not uh, they are not a team out of uh, the Northeast Conference. So Isaiah Campbell starts Saturday for Arkansas, and I'd feel pretty confident in saying that. There's no doubt about that. The other two starting pitchers for Arkansas right now, I know we scratch our heads a little bit because of the fact that neither Connor Nolan nor nor uh, Patrick Wicklander made it through the second inning, and so the bullpen really had to work hard here's the thing about this this bracket here i mean the the first part of the college world series takes a week where the regional format you're essentially you're playing in a four-team regional format now yeah the regional takes three days they're tightly packed together the first round of the college world series is a week you don't play back-to-back days at all in fact, if you win your first two, then you get a two-day layoff. You get a, actually a three-day layoff. No game on Tuesday, 
No game on Wednesday or Thursday, and you move to the semifinals on Friday. So you can be quick with a hook, as Dave Van Horn is prone to do sometimes, and always with good reason. Uh, some people, I think, criticized him a little for taking Connor Noland out of the game when he did, knowing Dave and knowing the stakes, and also knowing what I was watching from Nolan, I thought he made the right choice. And it's just, he will go to the bullpen early. And it paid off in droves, thanks to Cody Scroggins, on Monday. Starting pitching, potentially a concern for Arkansas. Right now, bullpen depth is not a concern. And the fact that you space your games out over the course of a week before you get to the championship series, then it's a best, then it's three days in a row. I, I don't think that the the worries about starting pitching are as heavy as you might feel as if this was packed into three days right now. Okay, so I, I think I'm going to have to disagree with you a little bit. When you say starting pitch, pitching is potentially a concern, I, does it not? is it not just a concern? Not the, you, I don't know if you have to add potentially in there because you still have two freshmen unless he changes the two and three spot that are going to be pitching in the biggest games of their lives. And we mentioned Connor Nolan won a state championship a little over 13 months ago in Bomb Stadium. And then he pitched in a super regional game, didn't look up to standards. Phil, I think, and again, I'm going to, I'm going to kind of move you or I'm going to give you your baseball knowledge and give you to kind of explain this. I don't know how you can't say pitching is not a concern when two and three Nolan and Wick didn't even get out of two innings at home. And right, I know but, that that was a, and I know Ole Miss has got a really good lineup, and that's an SEC quality baseball team. Phil, they got to go now to Omaha, Nebraska, the mecca for college baseball, the biggest stage they've ever played. If they thought this stage was big, wait till they walk into TD Ameritrade for the first time. It's, it's, you know, when Haskins, and I think Haskins is his name, and, and Hoosiers, when he measures up the, the length of the court, the basket, and, and with the tape measure and stuff. I don't know if Dave's going to do something similar. And it's one thing to try and convince players, hey, it's just another ball game. It's just that. Though there's two still true freshmen in starting roles unless something changes. I think there absolutely is a question mark on the starting pitching, even though I don't want it to be, and even though that it, me saying that, people are probably going to get ticked, because especially in this area with Connor Nolan. But I think there is a definite question mark when it comes to your two and three guys. Well, there's there's a there's a concern, and part of it is because of, of of the inconsistency. But but if if inconsistency goes bad sometimes, that means that inconsistency goes in a good way sometimes. So when I mean, where Connor Nolan didn't make it out of the second inning against Ole Miss, he didn't make it past one hitter against Vanderbilt, and gives up five runs, faces five batters, and then next week against Mississippi State, a College World Series entrant with a lineup that stands toe-to-toe with Vanderbilt and eventually may have to, uh, he throws seven and two-thirds innings scoreless and then goes on for a month long and, and deals. Uh, and and so what we, you saw consistency for a good month to six weeks there, save for one start. Uh, six out of seven starts were pretty high quality. Uh, and then and then obviously at Ole Miss, he, he was bad. He was, he was pretty bad. I don't think Dave doesn't give him the ball, but I also think that he's got somebody ready to go in the bullpen for game two. And I would think the same thing about Patrick Wicklander, but you also are in a position where if you win Saturday, 
and Isaiah Campbell does Isaiah Campbell things, if Dave wanted to do so, and you win your second game against either Texas Tech or Michigan, you could have Campbell ready to go for Friday. If you don't, if he doesn't pitch that Friday, and if you are forced to go into an elimination game on a Saturday to force a winner-takes-all to move to the finals, then you have Isaiah Campbell for that Saturday. So, and and they'll have he'll have he'll be ready with a quick hook for either of them. And and I feel like we're having the same conversation right now that we had about Isaiah Campbell a year ago, when you know he comes into the College World Series with two of the most different kind of starts in a postseason, where in one of them against Dallas Baptist, he faces three batters and he's yanked because he looked that bad. 13 the pitches, next, right? Right, and and they go on to get a victory because Jake Rindle gave him seven great innings. And then the next week, he went out and he threw five really good innings against South Carolina. Mm-hmm. So then he came into the into the into the champion into the uh, College World Series as the question mark in the starting rotation. And it turned out he outpitched Casey Murphy a little bit. He dealt against Florida and pitched Arkansas to the College World Series. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, it, it's that's why I'm saying it's potentially a concern because we've seen both from Wicklander and from Nolan that they can go out against, by the way, College World Series opponents. Wicklander threw five scoreless against Auburn, at Auburn, in a rubber match. Uh, th- these kids have shown that they can do it against these teams already. So I think they would get the chance if, the ca- if, the, if it came again. But they'll have a quick hook ready to go, and it's because you have guys that can give you length out of the pen. I think that was the best part of, uh, well, the best part, one of the best parts of Cody's performance on Monday is that he went, he went back out there and he, he had his longest relief outing of the year. I mean, he threw a six-inning start earlier in the season, so we, we knew he could go that long. But ever since uh, whatever the, the elbow issue was that, that knocked him out for a couple of weeks, he, he'd been limited to about an inning, inning and two-thirds at the most. So you got a guy that can give you length out of the pen then. And, you know, one of my concerns, now here's a concern I'd have. The other guy that you would give the ball to for a longer time period, and there's two of them, I guess, are Kevin Copps and Cole Ramage. And and Copps has been has been shaky at times, but a little more better good than than bad. Cole Ramage has not been very good. Yeah. And I feel like Arkansas will need something from him at some point in this College World Series. Or then again, who knows? Here we are talking about pitching tie and what wins Arkansas the Super Regional? Two games where they score double-digit runs and pound Ole Miss into submission. Yeah, that hitting. If the, if they can get the hitting and win these hot shot nine eight nine seven ball games, hopefully you're not going to be that reliant on pitching. But as you know, it's a lot harder to hit home runs in TD Ameritrade than it is other SEC ballparks that they've been playing in this year. Jeff Taylor and his staff over at Jeff's Clubhouse has a fantastic catering service, and they can almost cater up to any size. Give them a call today at 479-308-9123 or check them out on Facebook or visit online at theclubhousefs.com. Now back to the Halftime Pod. Let's go. After that game on Monday, it, it took quite a while to get down. Yesterday... Uh, and this this would be a good this would be a good start to get into what we usually do on a Wednesday right here. Go ahead, Ty. I can hit it for change my mind. I changed my mind. Hi, Joey. Hey, how you doing? He won't sell anybody out to buy his future. Can you be so obtuse? What did you call me? A 
tooth. Is it deliberate? Son, you're forgetting yourself. Change my mind. So the reason that I had you play it there is because I was going to talk just briefly about yesterday. And and I had a chance. Now, so I was in Fayetteville, obviously, for Monday's game. Um, And now I'm back up here in Bentonville, right outside Bentonville. Cave Springs, I think, is where the regional jet center is really located in. They've got a Bentonville address, but I think it's Cave Springs. Uh, And I drove back to Little Rock Tuesday morning, did the show, hung with the boy, my daughter's at uh, at sleepaway camp for the next three and a half weeks, so had the boy with me, and uh, and then we went to an arcade. We've got this arcade we love to go to with, uh, with uh, real older video games and even older pinball machines, and uh, we had ourselves dinner and chilled out a little bit, watched some television, and uh, and went to sleep. And you know what that was, Ty? That's what you call a regular day. It's a nice regular day. You know, go to work. Although for me, work yesterday was just getting out of bed. Uh, well, actually, it wasn't getting out of bed. It was driving home and then doing the show in the apartment. But that's still like a regular day for me. And then hanging with the kid and all that sort of stuff. It's just a regular summer, although it's not summer yet. It still feels like summer since school's over. A regular day. And I think that's my last regular day for a while. Uh, because regular days don't involve hotels. Regular days don't involve um, broadcasting baseball games, to be quite honest. Uh, regular days don't involve uh, tens of thousands of screaming, rabid Razorback fans everywhere you turn in a downtown area. Regular days don't involve being outside of home very much. And and I don't, I don't know how long uh, it's going to be until I actually get another regular day. And I'll tell you what. It'll take a while. Once this whole thing ends, it'll take a while to come back down to whatever reality is. And I remember that experience from last year. I don't know what it was like for the players, because some of them actually just go and start their professional careers. They've got the next thing ahead of them. And then others go and play summer ball, or they just hit campus and, and work out. But there's still a come-down period. For me... And I'll be upfront about this, too. It's not like I have a problem with it, but I'm pretty sure I was clinically depressed once we got back to Arkansas and had to figure out what's next. I mean, you're on you're on this incredible five-month magical run, and then the last month of it is so incredibly intense, and then the two weeks being in Omaha, and then the intense feeling of the championship series and the heartbreak of the loss and all of that. That's really being at a heightened state for a long time. When you finally come down and you're going from 60,000 RPM to zero, there's a come down period. And I, I, be, I, I mean, honest here, I do feel like I might have been clinically depressed for, for at least a couple of weeks or really longer than that until you figure out what's next on the, on, on the map. And, and I don't know. I just, I, to me, the regular days were tough to come back to. Um, I don't know if that'll be the case this time around because we'll have this show, and I think we'll we'll find more of a normalcy uh, once whatever normalcy will be. But I don't think I'm going to have a regular day for a good long time because my days coming up are going to be involving steak and baseball and and uh, and pedicures and and probably massages and probably walks through crowds where uh, where people want to talk Razorback baseball and and it's just not going to be regular. So. It's going to be a wild time before I get a day like yesterday. Change my mind. I hope so. I mean, you want me to be blunt? I hope, yeah. I hope it's the next two weeks or whatever it is, a little more than that. I hope you, 
I hope you don't come back to press. I, I hope you come back overjoyed. But I can't predict that. No one can. And I think when you talk about being clinically depressed after what happened last season, that doesn't just apply to you. It's applicable to most of this fan base because Arkansas has been so used to this over the years with stuff happening. I was going to ask Bill Keen when we have him up in about an hour, or excuse me, not an hour, about 30 minutes or so, is the perception, because the perception from the Arkansas point of view is that the Razorbacks always choke and they somehow find a way to lose the big game. And I'm curious from the national standpoint, and that, and that didn't apply for every case, obvious evidence by the, the national championship in 94 and, and other games you can point to, but that's just the overall perception, I feel like. I'm going to ask Bill if that's the perception nationally. Kind of you touched on your personal experience at this time last year. Bill, I was trying to get hired here last year. I yeah. I had an interview with Tommy and John uh, some, sometime around this time, and or right after it, Tommy went on vacation during the College World Series, and then I didn't hear back for a week or two. So I'm I'm frantically trying to get a job down here. Again, I, I make bone, no bones about it. I love Nashville. I love the city. I had a great friend group out there. But a full-time job in radio beats a part-time job in radio every single day of the week. And I wanted to be back in Arkansas, and here I am. So I, I remember last year, and I remember after game one, I told my buddies – who are meeting at this bar in Nashville called Neighbors. Guys, I'm like, guys, I'm not coming to game two. Arkansas's not going to win. I just told them that straight up, and they were ticked off at me, blah, blah, blah. I just said, I'm not coming. I'm watching this at home. And sure enough, that happened, and then I'm not going to even touch on game three. But, Bill, I, yeah, I hope you're there for a couple weeks. Back to your change. I'm not going to change your mind. I hope, you're, I hope you're there for the next three weeks. I hope they have a ceremony up there or whatever. They dry, I hope the entire state... Heads up to Omaha, Nebraska after what it concludes in this College World Series. I need to be sending, I need to make you as envious as I possibly can. And the experience alone, because you've been to the College World Series, so you know how much fun it is. So I know you'll have some FOMO, and I know it's not Friday, but I'm going to need to send you a phone eats first picture of every single steak that I eat. <sighs> Will you punch me the next time you see me if I do that? Oh, you'll have a slap or two built up from, from my from my point of view, I think. And it's it's not it's not this is the kid of me. It's not fair because Tommy <laughs> Tommy's gonna go to the College World Series if they make it into next weekend. John's gonna be down there starting on Sunday and poor little Ty's just gonna be sick back here manning the board as the just pushing buttons. Twenty you know, pushing buttons, keeping everybody afloat, making sure that nobody's F-bomb goes over the air. I mean, think think about if, if something <laughs> were to happen these two weeks and Arkansas does pull it off in Game 2, John and Tommy are out partying until the break of dawn. I'm sure you'll be joining them. And it's not like I'm going to be sober that night. Like, I'm going to have to make sure that we're on air the next morning. I, like, just to be honest, I was thinking about that because John and Tommy were talking about it a little bit earlier. They were giving me a hard time about it. I was like, man, I'm going to I'm going to have to set, like, in alarms that next morning because can you imagine the fury that would come from Tommy Kraft if I did not make it to this station the following morning after Arkansas na- win a national championship? I would get fired the next day. Change my there's my first change my mind. If I did not make it to the station after Arkansas won a national championship and John and Tommy and you were on location somewhere and they had no one else to man the board. I would get fired the next day. Change my mind. That's okay. You really think I'm going to be able to do a radio show the day after Arkansas wins a national championship in baseball? If that actually does go down, I will have, I'll have to whisper the show. I'll have no voice left. It will be all gone. I'm really good at, 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 at containing my voice and actually keeping the strength of it going. I've been good at this for a long time. I don't get hoarse. 
I will be hoarse. I will have nothing left. The best I could do is like, you know, I'd need, I'd need it to be an interactive radio show involving our FaceTime so I could write on a notebook the things I want our listeners to hear. So I hope, I hope in your, I hope in your stupor, you're able to do the show alone. We could do the show in Morse code for the entire two hours. Just beep, beep, beep. And then I'll do the beep, beep. I mean, that would be the only way for us to communicate because we'd be so hoarse. It would be like two lifelong smokers trying to like listen to, like, I, I don't even know if that would, that's not even to the point. Like, I, I, we could not speak coherently because of how much you and I would be shouting. And you have to somewhat tone yours down being having a mic in front of your face and whatnot. I'll be at a bar. I don't have to tone down anything. Well, in the terms difference of is depending on what b- depending on what bar you'll be at, you might have some smoke going in, th- in through. That's the thing that can really kill it. Yeah, it'll be is dark. when you get the smoke going through. That's not it's not the screaming necessarily. Or putting the car away before the horse. They haven't even played the first college World Series game. So That's but, exactly right. But, I thought the same thing when I was listening to the morning rush today. Yeah. All right. So my second is, you know, this Kevin Durant injury is is disturbing. On many levels, and and the top level is is that potentially the best player in the NBA is out for the next year, depending on how severe this Achilles injury is. And I think he's flying to New York, I think, to get it evaluated. Um, and the, you know, the other level, obviously, that people have been talking about is 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 the reaction of the Toronto fan base. And I think we got into that yesterday. I mean, we've been lauding the the Toronto fan base for the way that they've carried on about their team in a in a in a very canadian way you know very positive sort of clean way uh but uh you know cheering his injury has made people look at that fan base at least for the moment in uh in a much different light the other part of this injury is that it it sounded like based upon some of the sound bites that i'd heard uh from steph curry and potentially steve kerr that the onus is being placed on Golden State management uh, for for quote unquote pressuring Kevin Durant into taking the court uh, in in a position where he would not where he might not have been healthy enough to really get out there and play. Yeah. Now, you know, now they, I mean, for 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 a player who is paid this much money, uh. I, it's it's his own decision when he's going to go out on that court. I mean that was that was essentially you know the whole reason that brought Kawhi Leonard out of San San Antonio to Toronto. I mean he said he'll he he'll go out there and play whenever he's ready. Uh, and and Kevin Durant, you wonder what was going through his mind, uh, you know, about where his legacy stands if Golden State wins or if Golden State loses. If they lose because he wasn't on the court, then he wasn't tough enough to play. If they win with him and he's not on the court, then they never needed him to begin with. Uh, and and so it's, it's tough to get into his mind right there. But at the same time, I, I put when a professional athlete goes on the field, uh, especially, especially one that to me seems to be such a strong personality, you're not going to tell Kevin Durant what to do, even if you're the general manager of the Golden State Warriors. I it's and and I, I feel terrible for Kevin Durant because, I, you know, this is this this whole this whole thing about him being a free agent now this next year. It's this whole career has been leading right up to this, and you, you know he's got options plenty. And you know I've also said I have problem feeling bad for people that are making thirty million dollars a year or whatever, uh, but. 
to me, I, I put the injury more on him. I mean, you feel like he ought to know his body to the point where it he would know if he could get out there and play or not, and that any outside pressures coming from management wouldn't be enough to force you to do that. So change my mind. Phil, this is one of the first conversations where I genuinely disagree with a lot of what you're saying. If you're lauded and put out as either the second best or the first best player in the world, you mentioned the fact that Golden State had won a title without Kevin Durant, and then they've won two with Kevin Durant. And it would be one of those factors where if they were to go on and win this year, people would think that, oh, they don't need him. If they won with him, that he wouldn't be needed in it. There's times where you go to work, and again, we're not in the same profession. There's times that I've come in to work sick as a dog, but I didn't want to disappoint Tommy or John and not show up and not be able to come. And I probably shouldn't have done the show that day because I was sick as a dog, but I did it anyway. I'm not going to even touch on the word malpractice here because we can't predict every single type of occurrence that happens with the human body when it comes to what it goes through, participating in sports, what could or could not happen. Now, if he was cleared, which that has been reported by multiple people by Golden State that he was cleared to do that, and the doctors didn't miss on that, then that's all on them. But, Phil, you feel like you're disappointing your team. This is a team that's back to their, what is it, fourth straight finals? Maybe fifth? I'm blanking on that. I should know that. But they're either fourth or fifth straight finals, and they're down three to one. This is a guy that wants to help his teammates. He got his first championship ever in Golden State. And I know fan people aren't the biggest fans of him joining the team that knocked him out after he was knocked out in Oklahoma City. But Phil, this is a competitor. This is a guy that wants to do whatever he can to help his legacy. And if you're clear by medical, like, I was scared as hell the first time I, I played basketball after my torn ACL. But Dr. Gordon cleared me. He said, you're okay to play sports. I didn't think I was ready, but he cleared me. I trusted his judgment. I just, when it comes to a doctor's judgment over mine, and you're always going to doubt yourself coming back after energy, or after an energy. I, if I could say energy, injury, good grief. I just, if the doctors cleared him and it wasn't malpractice, I, I don't know if we can blame Kevin Durant for that. I just don't. Well, I, I hey, when. Athletes know their bodies. They know what feels right, what doesn't feel right. And athletes play with pain all the time. What he had, these two injuries, with you know, I mean, it, it, it was an Achilles injury from the start, obviously. And that's, that's what knocked him out to begin with. And it just feels like it is such a delicate portion of the body. The Achilles is one of those injuries that takes a good long while to come back from. Yeah. And the I don't know if the recovery process has improved much over the years, like an ACL injury, Tommy John surgery, these things, which used to you know knock you out for a year and a half or two years in some cases. Pete, you got athletes coming back much quicker from that. Now, I don't know if that's the case about the Achilles. Um, if you're cleared and you still don't feel right, the last word for an athlete to go on the field, and I feel like this for professional sports, collegiate sports, I feel like you're feeling, you know, and it's like comparing comparing you to Kevin Durant about how he would react to his boss or you would react to your boss. It's different when you're making, 
when you've you know made hundreds of millions of dollars. I feel that the pressure from a general manager to a, an NBA star, I think, is a lot different than the pressure that you'll feel, you know, f- from from Tommy Kraft or, or another you know another of those situations. It's it's on the athlete to know when you can and can't play. Doctors can get, can say, "Yeah, we'll clear you," but when you go onto the court, <laughs> you kind of feel like you are a hundred percent ready to go. And and you can't play, so to speak. What is the word? You can't play. Um, uh, you can't play with that thought in the back of your mind. Um, so hey, I mean, I understand. Look, athletes play with pain, and sometimes we're we're in a culture where we we expect them to play with pain, and we laud them for that very for that very manner, you know. And maybe that goes into the decision process of a Kevin Durant too. And you're thinking, well, you know, this is part of my legacy. Uh, but still, once an athlete gets on the on the field. Usually to me, and I know there have been situations in the NFL that <laughs> I think are, are different. Um, for this one, for this, for me and Kevin Durant, I say this one is for him getting on the court. I wish that injury didn't happen to him. Uh, and me too, I, man. I also made sure I did not go back and look off of your, off of your recommendation. Probably smart. Tommy so just th- texted me, called it the most uh, expensive injury in the history of sports with a guy that's potentially going to get the highest max deal an NBA team can offer. He's probably right on that, Phil. Well, and I saw that he can take a team, he can take a player option now for $30 million and, you know, sit the next season and then go back onto the market again. Train down there in the Bay. I guess they're moving across or whatever, and then potentially sign a new contract, which I have no idea what he's going to do. Anyone that tells you, whether it's Buker, Broussard, any NBA insider, other than, I think Woj is the one guy that doesn't put anything out there unless he's absolutely 100% sure. I just, I wouldn't trust any NBA insider to this point on what KD's going to do his next chapter until it, he actually comes out and says it. So. All right, my last change of my mind is that I think it's, a, it's much easier for a man like me to pack than it is for a lot of other people. And I was going to, I'm separating not, not women, people that, legitimately care about what they look like for other people. Part of this is, you know, what is the expectation as a society for a man or a woman to look like? You know, it's about what you want to adorn yourself with. You know, what sort of what sort of hair you have or, you know, what sort of... Don't have to worry about that. What sort of clothes you wear. For me, it's Razorback polo shirts, baseball t-shirts, and the same hat for the last basically... 19 months you and i are kind of cut from the same cloth phil because i get constant made fun constantly made fun of my attire and you have your style i have mine i am very general i wear the same probably six or seven t-shirts in my closet my cookout t-shirt my paradise park t-shirt my whataburger t-shirt and then a couple final four t-shirts it's very it's very me like no one else wears the style i wear i'm very unique now, no one would associate me with having any sense of style whatsoever, and you and I are, I think, in the same boat on that. You're not going to be lauded as some GQ magazine cover boy, but you're your own unique person. And I don't think there's anything wrong with taking 15 minutes to pack for a 10-day trip. I'd much rather be going on a trip with someone that does that than takes like two hours to try and design their entire wardrobe for the week. So, well, you and I are good radio partners. We'd be good travel partners too. Yeah, we're not. In all, in all honesty, so what do you say we pack the bags and head up head up the road to Omaha? 
going to take you a little bit longer to do that. Uh, that's just that's that's not even funny. And I, I'm assuming those jokes are going to continue throughout the out the week, out in possibly next week. We'll see what happens. But yeah, those those jokes are not only going to come from you; they're going to go from Don, and then if Tommy makes his way up there, they're going to come from all three of you. I'm not looking forward to those jokes, but. They're so do I, did I cut you off from any of your extra change my minds here? You did. I got one more since we're coming up on a break. So back in 1984, we're both big Larry Byrne, Boston Celtics fan. Well, back on this day in 1984, June 12th, Game 7, Boston Celtics beat the Los Angeles Lakers. Congratulations. You were the most valuable player. And I must add that they said you were going to be the MVP if Boston even lost this game tonight. That's how great this series was. What does it mean to Larry? Well, it means a lot, but uh, there's a lot of players out here still capable of winning the MVP award, Bernard King and, and uh, Tavar and some of the others. But, uh, right now, I wish ESPN had win. put the music under it because the highlight was great. But the, the point I'm getting to, Phil is that in Game 7, the Boston AC in the old Boston Garden, not TD Ameritrade Garden down there, but the old Boston Garden, the AC was not working, so the temperature was not great. Over over 90 degrees in the Boston Garden. Here's my thing you're going to have to change my mind on. Red Auerbach, former coach and former general manager of the Boston Celtics, intentionally did that. Now, there were other things that he did throughout no. his career. Yes, Phil, Phil, no. this is one of those NBA conspiracies that I'm not the only one that's been on. Our back would have never done anything Our, like that. You had Kareem on the oxygen mask, Magic was tired, and it kind of slowed down the the Showtime Lakers in Game 7, and Boston was able to prevail. you got to change my mind, Phil. No, it's, I mean, this is the same franchise that uh, that was accused of taking hot water out of the visiting locker room. Which they did. Cooper said, Michael Cooper said they did that. Right. So, I mean, they turned the heat up on in the on the court, and they turned the, the heat down in the shower. So, yeah, I'm not going to change your mind. I know this is the fact. This is, <laughs> well, this is 100%. Oh, man. This, that, is, this is one of the things that made the Celtics the Celtics. Can you imagine if a franchise tried to do something like that today, how incredibly quick to social media and articles and how fast that would get around and how... I mean, I'm not going to well, say the GM or owner would be fired, but they would be reprimanded for sure. And I know we got to go to a break real quick, but you know, I mean, for you, and I wonder what'll change here with Eric Musselman as the head coach under Nolan Richardson and under Mike Anderson. They turned the heat up inside Bud Walton Arena, yep. legitimately. I mean, that was part of the strategy to turn the heat up. I wonder what the case will be with uh, with Musk. We ought to ask him about. You know, he never thought that one of the questions would be, "When are you going to set the temperature for 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 game time, coach?" That's probably the one out of the box question that he hasn't had because we know the number of podcasts, interviews, radio interviews, magazine articles. He's been on so many of those since he arrived at Arkansas. But Phil, I bet you, if we ever get him on halftime, that would be the one question since arriving in Arkansas he hasn't been asked. So you get the. You get the the choice, not the choice. You get the uh, golden honor of asking that question. You're listening to the Halftime Podcast, presented by Jeff's Clubhouse. Check out the Bud Light Morning Rush podcast at hitthatline.com. 